who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Check out new episodes Mondays and Fridays for a wide variety of topics and news episodes. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rage on. Testing? Ah, there we go. Okay. Today is June 5th. I'm with Oleander, biomedical patient 6424. We're going to do a word association. I'll say a word, and you tell me what word it makes you think of. Okay? I guess. Great. First word. Greenhouse. What comes to mind? Uh, new life? Don't guess. There's no right answer. What about doctor? Um, smart. How about Lake? Actually, Alex, my daughter. Because she wants to throw me into one most days. She didn't even invite me to her graduation. Did I tell you? Asked some random guy instead. All the more reason to do the study together. You can reconnect. But what if she never speaks to me again afterward? Why would you say that? I have a feeling there's something she's not going to like about the memories. But you chose those memories for her. It's just... You know how you wake up from a dream and you tell yourself, Okay, that was wild, and I'm going to remember it exactly. But then, once you're in the shower, the details, they're different. And you're like, wait, was I using a sneaker to call 911, or was it the buttons on the microwave? So you're worried there's something in the memories you've forgotten that will be painful for her? I can understand being hesitant, but look... We're trying to help you. Remember how we talked about that? I wouldn't have reached out if I didn't think this could do good things. But if you don't want help... No, no, I do. I just meant Alex is sensitive. But never mind. Everything is fine. Please, we want to do the study. Forget I said anything at all. Realm presents... Memory Lane. Episode 1. Palo Alto, California. June 12. 
The parking lot of Oleander Biomedical is organized by famous medical researchers. You can park in the Curie section, or the Louis Pasteur section, or, like our car, right under a large portrait of Watson and Crick. I turn off the ignition, and my mother, Cassie, I haven't called her mom since I was 12, whips an e-cig from her pack and flicks the on switch. Really? You're going to light up in front of the giant human lungs? I gesture at the sculpture in front of the building. Two abstract lungs made of bronze stretch into the sky. Sunlight glints off the sculpture's hammered surface. Cassie smiles at me sideways while she takes a drag. Come on, you wouldn't let me vape on the drive. And anyway, you've got your little puzzle. Let me have my thing. I realize the stim is in my hand already. I must have reached for it as soon as I turned off the ignition. You know they're not the same. Cassie shrugs and makes a sound that could mean anything. The smooth plastic disc of the stim fits perfectly in my palm. I press its buttons in the right order and a warm feeling zips up my spine and floods my head. Within seconds, I'm infused with a feeling I can only describe as, it's all good. It doesn't last long. More like a sudden, wind-shifting burst of contentment. But it takes the edge off. It's my own dopamine, triggered by this external cue. I'm not ingesting or inhaling anything, unlike Cassie. Sure, her brand of e-cig is marketed as a healthy alternative, loaded up with vitamins and antivirals, but there's still a bunch of actual nicotine in there, too. Hey, honey. Thanks for driving. I offer up my cheek when she leans over the console to kiss me like I'm a kid again. Then she pops out of the passenger side and rushes toward the building without even closing the door. I reach over to pull it closed, then hustle after her through the parking lot. Of course I drove. This might have been her idea, an early medical trial that I'm not even sure is legit. But once I decided I was in, I was in. Leave it to Cassie to get us here, and she could flake in an infinite number of ways. Maybe just not show up, which actually happened at my college graduation last month. Or she might pull over to stop at a thrift store and entirely forget about our appointment. Or she might just drive the other way and decide to take us on a different adventure. I'm technically supposed to be looking for jobs today. I'm hoping to find something in game design. Maybe an app. But when Cassie asks, she shall receive. See, my mom has this way about her. She's wildly flaky. She only remembers my birthday half the time. But when she does, she puts together a hell of a party. Inconsistent. But when she's on, she's on. Despite the fact that I used to spend my babysitting money on a therapy app to vent my grievances about her over FaceTime, it's not easy saying no to her. But today, I'm here for me. Because if Cassie is telling the truth about why we're here, this study might reveal things I've always wanted to know. About her? About my dad? About me? We're going to be right on time. Cassie says as soon as I catch up to her. There's a first for everything. My whole life, Cassie's been running at least 30 minutes behind. Maybe that's understandable. She's always been juggling a lot. Cassie's only 43 now, so she was 21 when she had me, meaning she'd never really learned how to be responsible for herself before she had to be responsible for both of us. And she had to raise me alone. 
She struggled to keep a roof over our heads, to keep a job, to keep food in my belly, to keep from falling down the hole of addiction, and to control her mental health. And I don't think it's all her fault. Things happened to her. Things she doesn't like to talk about. Something dark. Something to do with my dad. A man I've never met. A man I know nothing about. But a man I've spent my life looking for. At least until it all went wrong. I look at the Oleander Biomedical Building. It's sand-colored and blocky, with uniform rectangular windows. The place looks professional enough, but am I really going through with this? Is she really going through with this? Cassie studies the cracked screen of her cell phone. Looks like we go to the fourth floor and then turn left. A guard at the front desk face scans us, and then we're in an elevator. It dings on the fourth floor and we walk down the hall to a waiting room with about ten or so people. I swallow hard, suddenly feeling the urge to flee. When my mother first brought this up, uttering the words, Mother and Daughter Medical Study, I almost hung up on her. Alex, wait. It's about memories. My memories. From when I was pregnant with you. This study, they've figured out a way to draw them out, transfer them into you, see if they can live in someone else's mind. My mind was going a million miles an hour, but I'd gone still. A memory transfer? That sounded nuts. Was it even possible? Was it safe? And why the hell had Cassie gotten roped into yet another scheme? But apart from all the questions, there was only one thing I could bring myself to say. I thought you barely remembered being pregnant with me. Her response that could have meant anything. She was always claiming her memories got fuzzy that far back. A convenient excuse, I knew. An easy out. So why open up now? And why did we need to involve scientists? For years I've been trying to get my mom to talk about her past. I know the basics. Stiflingly conservative parents. Her father died after contracting a new flu that was going around. He'd refused to be vaccinated. And I only met my grandmother once, when I was eight. She'd criticized my outfit, saying it wasn't appropriate for a young woman. I was wearing jeans. So my mom took off. I get why. But the years between her leaving home and her giving birth to me are a mystery. Given any other subject, she'll riff forever. But she's never told me much about that time. Which is when she must have met my father. I've tried everything. When I was really young, I'd see other dads and ask about mine. In grade school, I badgered her for any shred of information, claiming I'd fail my family tree project. And later... I'd slip in the casual inquiry after she'd had one too many glasses of wine, hoping she'd feel generous, or forget herself, or both. And Cassie's face would always cloud over for a split second, so fast you could miss it, before it morphed into that signature smile. Playful. Sly. It's always just been me, baby. The way she'd play it off, I started to suspect that she was trying to shield me from something. Something violent. Something she felt misguided shame about. I wondered who my dad really was. 
if he'd hurt her. Maybe that was why she never spoke about him. To protect me. Still, I couldn't let it go. Even if my father was bad news, I wanted to know who he was and what he'd done. I had half of his DNA. What if some of his traits were lurking inside me? How could I understand myself if I didn't know both halves of the equation that produced me? Well, what do you think? Want to do the study or not? On the phone that day, the words felt jammed in my throat. I did want to do it. But I couldn't shake the idea that Cassie wasn't telling the whole truth. I just didn't understand why she would suddenly just hand over the memories she's gone to such great lengths to keep secret. Then again, I knew I couldn't outright ask her. It might freak her out. The next thing you know, she'd be changing her mind, deciding she didn't want to after all. Maybe she hadn't fully considered what I might discover. If so, if this was real, I needed to say yes, no questions asked. So I did. Even if there was some sort of sketchy angle I didn't understand, or some secret Cassie was keeping from me, I had to say yes. Anyway, I was the one keeping secrets. About a year ago, I found a sketchbook in the back of my mother's closet. I leafed through her drawings. Cassie's past has always been a locked chest thrown into a deep well, and I've been wandering those depths for anything. On the very last page of sketches, I found a note in tiny handwriting. C. Call me anytime. It listed a phone number with a California area code. I called it. A man who I'd come to know as Colin answered. And then... I shake off the memories, peering at my mother now. She strides across the waiting room and over to a small window at the back, where a receptionist sits. She gives our names, and we have to do yet another face scan. Then the receptionist hands us two tablets. If you could sign these forms. On the tablets are legal documents. I scroll through the file, feeling a pit in my stomach. It's at least ten pages long. I sit down next to a dude who I'm pretty sure is watching porn on his phone. Ugh, nice. I start to read the forms. It's standard legal stuff. Oleander Biomedical isn't responsible for anything and doesn't promise anything. But when I get to the second page about potential side effects, the list is endless. Headaches, anxiety, memory loss, aphasia. Aphasia? They think we're going to forget how to speak? I glance in Cassie's direction. She's rapidly picking at the skin on the side of her thumb, like she's wondering if it's worth it too. My hand seeks out the stem again for a soothing burst of calm. Bryant? A nurse stands at a back door, reading our name from a clipboard. Cassie shoots up, but my legs are shaky. A nurse leads us through a maze of hallways and into a darkened room. Welcome, she says, just before she leaves. Dr. Novick will be in shortly. Inside the room are two big leather chairs like the ones you might see in a private home theater. Behind the chairs are foam-padded domes that remind me of old-fashioned beauty salon hair dryers. I also spy computers on stands and a tangle of electrodes. The room hums with technology, but it's not the kind of technology I understand. 
I glance at Cassie. She's still fidgeting. I can tell she badly wants a hit off her vape. I can't wait for you to meet Dr. Novick. She forces a smile. He's so handsome. The last thing I want to talk about is the cute doctor. I gesture at the switchboards. What is all this? Are they going to implant microchips in us? <laughs> Don't worry. No microchips here. A man has walked into the room. He's tall, in his mid-forties, with wavy dark hair, thick eyebrows, and deep-set, soulful eyes. Handsome, admittedly. Actually, right up my mom's alley. Maybe this was why she'd signed up, despite having to share her memories with me. I catch him smiling at her, and maybe it's just a doctorly professional smile, but I think I catch something else in it, too. Gross. He looks my way and offers his hand. Dr. Reminovic, and good to see you again, Cassie. And here I thought I was patient 6424, Dr. Novick. I glance at her. Patient? What? Dr. Novick grabs a stool from the corner, slides it toward us, and sits down casually, his knees apart. Your mom and I met for several sessions when she was first admitted to the study. She's told me a lot about you, Alex, and she's eager to transfer her memories to you. She explained to you what we're doing, right? I tuck at my collar. So this is about my mother's memories? Dr. Novick laces his fingers together and gives me a warm, slightly puzzled smile. Yes, of course. What did you think? I, um... I can sense Cassie watching me, daring me to accuse her of lying. I mean, it sounded a little far-fetched, and I... Look, I can understand if you feel some trepidation. Your mother tells me you're not the most comfortable in medical environments. This one cringes every time she needs a shot. <laughs> I watch as they both chuckle. But fears about doctor's offices isn't why I'm uncertain. Then again, admitting I thought my mom was lying isn't something I feel comfortable with either. How is it even possible? What will you use? Drugs? Electrostimulation? Hypnosis? Alex... No, it's okay. Let me assure you, our team are among the world's leading researchers in this field. We have a contingent that studied neurology at MIT, another group that specialized in genetic memory transfer studies at Stanford. What we're doing is revolutionary. He leans forward. I can smell his woodsy soap. If we can harness memories and pass them from one person to another neurologically, consider the possibilities. The human brain is an untapped resource. We have great capacity to store information, maybe even whole generations of memories. This can change how history is passed from one generation to the next. It could keep ancestors alive. No more relying on inaccurate or biased history books. People in the future will be able to experience for themselves how their family members once lived. My mom grabs my arm. Can you imagine? There are excited red splotches high on the doctor's cheeks. He rises to stride around the room like my old computer engineering professor used to when he gave lectures. What are memories anyway? Mere electrical impulses. We found a way to duplicate those impulses, like saving a file from one computer to upload onto another. As we've mentioned in this particular study, we're working with mothers and their children. 
Our theory is that both brains need to share some chemical properties. Think of it as you both having the same operating system installed. Oh god. I hope my brain doesn't work that similarly to Cassie's. The more closely related the patients, the better. And because a child actually spent time inside their mother's womb, we suspect there's an even greater neurological connection when it comes to any memories the mother formed during that period. It simplifies the science driving our procedure, at least while we're in these early stages. And what kind of science are we talking about? You still haven't explained what we'll be doing exactly. It's based on the same technology used to create deep brain stimulators. Alex has one of those? Dr. Novik smiles. Do you have it on you? I shrug, then pull it out. My stem is the base model from a few years back. I'd bought it for a steal after filling out a survey. It's a simple green egg with three buttons you have to squeeze in just the right way. As I hand it to Novik, I feel oddly vulnerable. Like he's going to judge me for how worn it is, and how the paint on the buttons has faded from how often I've pressed them. But he just balances it on his palm benignly. The stim, as you know, was designed to give the user a dopamine hit whenever it's accessed properly. Think about when you first set up your device. You were told to think of a nice memory, a good memory, one of your best. The stim replicates for you the sensation of that memory over and over again, right? Right. I'm transported back to when I got my fidget stim and went through the long setup process. It took me a while to settle on a memory. Once I did, I had to immerse myself in that memory, eyes shut, until it felt as if I were reliving it, all with the stim in my fist. That's because your stim was recording the electrical footprint of your brain activity during that memory. It processed which parts of your brain lit up, for how long, and so on. It remembers those patterns, and whenever you squeeze it, it plays those patterns back, so you feel that way again. I hold my hand out, suddenly eager to have my stim back. I don't want Dr. Novik to ask me which memory I used. And this links to your study how? We're capitalizing on brain patterns too, but what we do differently is that we recreate those brain patterns and give them to someone else. No stim can do that. The hope is that you and your mother have similar enough brains for the memories to transfer smoothly. As Cassie might have mentioned, she selected a series of memories from when she was pregnant with you that she wants to pass on. A road trip. I was so young. So free. We asked that she specifically choose memories that occurred during her pregnancy because, as I mentioned, you would have shared some neurological pathways with her in utero. And through our brainwave therapy, much like your stim therapy, those memories will be transplanted to your mind, Alex, immersively. You'll see those memories as though you're living them yourself. To heighten the memory trigger process, we also ask that you recreate your mother's road trip as aftercare and report back to us. I nod. Cassie told me this too. She'd rented a VW bus, and we would be driving inland to somewhere called Heather Lake, stopping at various places she'd visited along the way. I found it so presumptuous. Cassie just assumed I could take a week off to do this, as if my time and job hunt meant nothing. But the whole road trip plan told me something else, too. If Cassie remembers actual locations she visited during a road trip 22 years ago, then she definitely remembers other things, too. Stuff she's kept from me. 
Her whole, oh, that time was all foggy excuse doesn't hold water. Sitting here, I get mad all over again. Why can't you just tell me these memories? Why do we have to go through this procedure and road trip? Cassie glances at Dr. Novick and then back at me. She shrugs. For science. That, and also because Cassie's memories aren't at the forefront of her mind. The work we did to extract these particular memories happened when Cassie was in a semi-conscious state. They live within her subconscious, but not in a way that's fully communicable. In a way, on this road trip, you'll both be uncovering the memories together. You're saying these memories are repressed? It's not that the thought hasn't occurred to me. I just assumed if she knew the road trip locations, she must remember other details. But maybe there is a reason Cassie hasn't told me all this before. I take a deep breath and try to calm down. I catch Dr. Novick giving me a sympathetic look. This will be worth it, Alex. We're trying to open up an experience where you can be in her shoes, see things through her eyes. If my mom were still alive, I'd leap at that chance. But also, we think this can help Cassie. Your mother mentioned her issues, how it's been hard to keep stable, being pulled so many different directions. She fears it stems from this time in her life. Opening up these pathways and a conversation between the two of you might help her work through her issues. I glance at Cassie who's pretending she's absolutely fascinated by the far wall. I wonder how much she's told Dr. Novick about our fraught relationship. How I can't depend on her. How she sometimes doesn't listen to me. How I'm not sure if she cares. But how I want her to care. So badly. I do want to help her. I want to know more about her. And I certainly want to know her secrets. But then Colin shimmers into my mind, and I suppress a flutter of panic. There's no possibility memories could go the other way, right? Like, my memories going into her head instead? Ooh. I fake glare at Cassie, trying to throw them off. <sighs> Don't be gross. What happened with Colin is swirling like a tornado in my brain. The rage I felt when he told me what he knew. My hands reaching out, making contact with his chest. His surprised face. His stumbling feet. And then... That's something my mother can't see. I don't want her to witness that side of me. I'm not sure she could handle it. No. The memories travel from mother to daughter. That's it. Okay. Let's start then. Great. I'll need you both in these seats. He gestures to the recliners. He touches my mother's arm. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Sure. And Alex, are you ready? Dr. Novick motions for me to sit, too. The chair is comfortable, but my muscles are tense. Novick places electrodes on my mother's temples and then pulls the dome over her head. It completely obscures her face. Love you, honey. Same, Cassie. Novick places electrodes on my temples, too. When he pulls down my dome, claustrophobia sets in. It gets worse when I hear the tapping and clacking of Novik fiddling with a keyboard. The humming sounds grow louder. 
I keep thinking about what he said. Memories are just bits of electricity. Like my stim. I've done this before. Kind of. Here goes nothing. I'm trying to downplay it in my mind, but as the electrodes on my head start to vibrate, I realize how badly I want it to work. Something zaps at my skull, but it's nothing like the pleasant buzz I get with the stim. I try and wrench my eyes open, but they feel glued shut. And then, flashing images march across my closed eyelids. They're things I can't control, things I don't understand. Someone's eyeball, dreadfully close to my face. Then I'm running fast through a dark forest, my breath coming in terrified gulps. Then I'm plunging backward into a body of water. A pool? The ocean? And someone's hands are holding me under the bubbles while I scream. Then I'm shooting up from a bed in a dark room, only to see a shadow in the doorway. Someone leans over me. None of this is real. None of this is real. I can feel myself wrenching, resisting. And suddenly I'm in a dark, damp room. Starlight shines through glass panes overhead, and thick, lush trees surround me. It's eerily silent. The heavy breathing is gone. The heartbeat has stopped. But in front of me, there's a table. And on the table... Oh, God. It's too dark for details, features, but it's clearly a person. A body? Lying so, so still. White cloth like in a hospital over its legs. Its torso. Before I can make out any more details, a scream rocks through my ears. My scream? I whip around. Someone sprints toward me. A hand claps over my mouth. Another hand conceals my eyes. You don't see that. You don't see anything. And they're right. Because next, all I see is darkness. You're listening to Memory Lane, starring Emily Wuzeller as Alex, Leanne Marie Dobbs as Cassie, and Elliot Schiff as Dr. Remy Novick. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm. Listen away. Memory Lane stars Emily Wu Zeller, Leanne Marie Dobbs, Chris Chula, Elliot Schiff, Cherie Wichard, and Tiana Camacho. It is written by Sarah Shepard and Ellen Goodlett, produced by Rhoda Belleza, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio produced and directed by Amanda Rose Smith. Sound design and editing by Kaylin West. Theme music by Amanda Rose Smith. <laughs>